Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions and not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies this phrase. Lauren Johnson is a mental performance coach and speaker. She works with professional athletes, military personnel, and business professionals. Prior to opening her own consulting practice, Lauren served as the mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees. Yes, those Yankees. She received her master's degree in performance psychology from National University. Lauren's practical, straightforward advice and mental performance strategies helps individuals develop mental toughness so that they can perform at their best, regardless of circumstances. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. I love that you're kind of the way I am, where you cut through all the superfluous, you cut through all the BS. And you get right in there because I don't know if people understand, but when we're talking to an athlete or uh, an actor or anybody, they don't have the luxury of time. So if you see them doing something, you don't have time to unpack this 30 minute conversation. You just have to say, here's the cue. Here's what I want you to focus on and move forward. Much like a ring man in a fight for a boxer or for an MMA fighter. And am, am I on track there or is that completely off base? Oh yeah. Uh, when I'm working with elite, whether it's an elite athlete or a CEO, they don't, yes, if we have time, sure. There might be time where some people and some clients like to know kind of the reasons behind it, how our actual physiology and biology works. However, when it's game time, they just want an, a solution. They just want an answer. Like, I just want to know what direction do I need to go in from somebody that has studied this. And so it's, it's impossible to be an expert in every single area. And so I know that for myself because that's why I have my own coaches. I'm not an expert in business. That's why I have a business coach. I'm not an expert in you know lifting and working out. That's why I have a trainer. And so I think that the same way that I seek advice and expertise in these areas that I am not an expert in, and to be quite honest, I'm not looking to become one in, I think is the same way that a lot of people that come to me, they're seeking that same advice. And most of the time, like you said, they want to cut through the BS. They want to cut through the noise and just say, okay, so if that's the truth, what does that mean for me? What do I need to do? Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's so succinct because going to another coach, like you said, I, I'm not afraid to invest in multiple coaches as you are, because I know that they're going to give me 10 to one on what I'm putting into it because I'm committed because they're much better than what I am. And much like we see co-founders or CEOs, they're used to being this person who maybe created something and they hire people to help them, but they never take that mental step into the CEO position. They never understand that they have to let go of some of these other things and not be an expert on whatever the newest technological or practical aspect is to their, their product or service so that they can step away from the fray and see better, much the way that if you're coaching somebody, you can see the mistake that they're making, almost like a fighter in the ring who's dropping their hands. They can't see it because they're in the heat of adversity. They're in the battle, but you can see it much more clearly than they can. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're driving on the freeway, I will never forget this because I had just gotten my driver's permit 
and I was practicing in my mom's, I think it was like a 2001 Toyota Sequoia. It, and she was like sweating bullets in the front seat. <laughs> and I am, I am trying to merge into this lane to exit the freeway. And, you know, I think I'm doing everything right. You know, I, I'm, I'm checking on my mirrors. I put on, I turn on my, uh, my blinker and I start to merge and I'm immediately greeted with a loud horn because somebody was in my blind spot. And the thing about blind spots is we all have them, but it's an area where our view is obstructed. And so like you were talking about with a boxer, when you're in it, there are things that we know it's there. But our view is sometimes obstructed. Sometimes it's the view from somebody else from a different perspective that can offer these areas that maybe we struggle to see. And whether that's in performance, uh, physically, mentally, every, and everything in between, it's a lot easier sometimes to gain perspective when we have somebody looking from the outside in. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, it's one of those things where the boxer that gets knocked out, it's, he's knocked out by the punch that he doesn't see coming, as you're saying. And sometimes that's what our job as the coach is just to kind of keep them accountable or again, call them on their, your under, under indexing here, or how many, how many athletes do we see that may win in spite of the things that they're doing incorrectly. And instead of celebrating the win as a coach, we have to come in and say, listen, I'm glad that we got through that, that this and this are our primary objectives from here on out. And to them, if they don't see that, they're going to continue that same behavior that has been working or succeeding up to that point. But at the higher levels, especially at the levels that you coach at, the stakes are so high. You don't, you don't have the, you can't afford to let something that can be fixed right now continue to just grow and grow. And all of a sudden now it's almost impossible to fix, especially at the big game. Absolutely. You're so, you're so right because the margins for the margins for the between good and great are so thin. And you see that as you get to the top. Like I, I noticed in my own experience with the Yankees is the difference between somebody that was just drafted and then somebody that was at, you know, the double A, triple A level was vastly different. But when you, when you compare between double A, triple A and major leagues, it is so it, it, it is it's so minor, I should say, so minor in a difference that it often becomes a lot of times it's not talent that separates because at that point, all of those guys have the, have the talent to become major leaguers. Most of the time it has to do with their ability to perform when it matters. And that, you know, of course can um, include many different areas of their game. But the part that I'm looking at is how they are able to adjust and become adaptable under really difficult or really good circumstances. And I'll tell you why there's a difference between these two. Yes, when we're under really difficult circumstances, that's the one that first stands out to me, is how you deal with adversity, how you bounce back, how you uh, manage under pressure, what is your relationship with stress? Like All of those things, I think, really matter to exist in a major league role, especially for a long time. But then there's also this flip side of it. And people that become really, really successful over a long period of time we can also fall into the trap of complacency. And so I see it from both angles is not just how we bounce back from failure, but also how do we bounce back from success? Both of those things matter when we are looking for consistency over a long period of time. Yeah, that's so true. And I like that you brought that up about, I had recently 
Rich Devenny, he wrote the, the attributes, 25 markers for optimal performance. And he pointed out how that what you were saying, it's about being able to bounce back, but it's also being able to pivot in uncertainty. So, so many people, when I was in the military, for example, I joined at 38 and I'm competing in infantry school against guys that are half my age, but a lot of them had the physical component down. But then when they were pushed with sleep deprivation, not a lot of food, not a lot of water, a lot of stress. And it wasn't an area that they were normally already a stud at, or that was their wheelhouse. That's when they started falling apart at the seams, because that was the first time in their life they were being pushed with genuine adversity on something that was out of their control. And the top five teams in any arena, you can almost shuffle them around based on their capacity to have that kind of focus in the fray. First of all, I had I had no idea you joined the military at 38. I have so many questions for you. <laughs> uh, so that's a, like we're going to have to ch- chat about that later because that's fascinating to me. But you're right, there's this different level of ability to work within adversity and I think for those guys that you mentioned that were, you know, half your age and struggling with that, I also think that's a really big gift for them. And I'll give you an example. I was working with, I was at one of our affiliates with the Yankees and this player that was at an affiliate above the one that I was at, he walks in my door and like slams the door behind him and he was just sent down. He starts venting and then, and then he starts talking a little bit like self-doubt started to creep in. And he's like, if I can't even pitch at that level, what, what makes me think that I can actually do it at the major league level? And, you know, he's, he's kind of going through this, his own little spiral. And I stopped and I asked him this question. I said, okay, let's, let's pretend that it's game seven of the world series and you're, you've been called into close. And I said, and your catcher goes down. He said, if you had the option to choose, like your manager came up to you and said, you can choose who you want behind the plate. Would you choose the person that has not failed at all? Like I like this person is so talented and is like go gone straight through the system from the bottom to the top, very little adversity, just shot through our system. Or would you want somebody that had failed and had to deal with overcoming obstacles and adversities their entire way to get to where they are? Who would you rather have behind the plate when it's game seven of the World Series? And he like sat there and he goes, oh, well, of course, the guy that failed. And I said, why? And he goes, well, because he knows how to handle difficult situation where I wouldn't want to take the chance on somebody that's never dealt dealt with that because it's the world series. It's the most important series, of course, in games of the year. And so if I make a mistake, I want somebody who knows how to bounce back. If a mistake happens anywhere else, I want that person to be adaptable and not be shaken by it. And I said, told him exactly. And so right now you're in what I like to call the growth zone. I said, you are facing adversity, but in the adversity you're facing, you are growing in your response. And so instead of being so upset by it, which I was like, it's normal, you know, be upset, but let's focus on how we can respond and improve our response to this moment. Because as we do that, we start to develop a better relationship with it. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to is those guys that are in that situation. You're right. Maybe they haven't developed a relationship with stress. They haven't developed a relationship with adversity, but every time we face it, it's an opportunity to improve our response to it, to improve our relationship with it, to improve our perspective when we can barely see five feet in front of us. How can you go? Well, thank goodness I can see five feet. And when you don't have the opportunity you want, 
how can you go, okay, I don't have the opportunity I want, but I have the opportunity right now to be my best self, to show up as my best. And so I just think that those moments offer such, such gifts to us that are not always easy to see in the moment. And I think with the more we're exposed to it, the more we can start to gain the experience of putting in those reps as it pertains to difficult moments. I love that cognitive reframe. And, and it is so true. The pain of the adversity will subside. You need to give that person a chance to have a pity party or whatever. But the lesson from the adversity will always remain if we're willing to learn, if we're willing to adapt, if we're willing to, like you said, have no blind spots and working with a, a coach of your level. That's exactly why you're able to do what you do so well with so many people. Could you give us sort of an idea of what your philosophy is when it comes to mindset? Because, and I don't want to say this in a disparaging capacity, but there are a lot of people now that can just open uh, an account on uh, social media and just put, you know, all these things, there's no credentials, there's no experience, there's no life experience whatsoever. And they're just sort of regurgitating what they hear from these other people. But that doesn't really give them, first of all, a framework or a foundation or a process like you have, but it also is is disingenuous and it makes people get a bad taste for just like anything the the bottom 1% of all professions of lawyers of doctors of whoever are the ones that everybody else judges the other 99% by can you kind of give us an idea what that looks like for you and how you approach it with an athlete absolutely so there's the way i see it i kind of split it into two there's the science of what we do and then there's the art of what we do so the science is super important right it's foundational it's where it's the foundation of a house, right? It's solid and um, it's what holds up the rest of the home. The rest of that, the design aspect of a home is where the art of what we do comes into place. And this is through storytelling. This is through learning our clients so well that we know what's going to work, what's going to drive, what's going to motivate, and then what's not. We especially also help us to relate what skills are going to work for this client and what skills are not. Because I think that's one of the beauties of what we do is that each person has their own puzzle and not every person's puzzle pieces are going to be the same shape and size. They're going to be different. And therefore we need to adapt our skills and we need to adapt our training to each individual puzzle piece. And so that's so important to me because frameworks are, I have a framework for how I work with my athletes, but within each framework, there's different versions of that for each person. Because what I believe mental toughness is, and which is what I teach, is that mental toughness make, doesn't make you invincible. It makes you adaptable. I think a lot of times we misunderstand the term mental toughness is like, you just got to push through it, like never talk about your weaknesses, like just go hard, grit. And like, don't get me wrong, like there's a place for that. But I don't believe that's how we should define mental toughness. I don't think mental toughness is about ignoring the way that you think and the way that you feel. I think it's learning to process the way that you think and feel in a way that maintains a high level of performance. And so for me, that's kind of the way that I look at it. And that's the way I approach each client. I love that. And it's very much in line with what I've, what I do and I've learned. And I love that you point that out about because a lot of people think, oh, and this, it's easy to do. I mean, on social media, you see somebody like Goggins or whomever that's, that's doing these, these push. And so it's easy for people to check the box and say, oh, this person's a hard motherfucker or whatever. But in the, the end of it, it's about there's more to it than that. And we're only seeing like that sliver, like the tip of the iceberg. And it's not sustainable to just 
push. This is why young entrepreneurs or young CEOs, they think I'm just going to push hard for these two years and just grind, grind, grind and work 80 hours a week. And I'm going to have a multi-billion dollar company. But then they realize along the journey that there are many, many routes that are closed down, many detours, a lot of construction, so to speak, and it slows you down. And then their answer is to push. And what I've found is that these people that are saying, you know, how can I push harder? How can you make me perform better? I'd come at them and say, are you doing this for the right reason? And when you do that, that makes them, again, that forces them to kind of take that step back and go, oh, and now again, as a coach, like you were saying, I'm not an Olympic level athlete, but I can coach an Olympic level athlete, like you said, to solve that puzzle, to help them unpack what that is or find out what's really going on there. And now we can get in front of it as opposed to continually being sabotaged over and over again in the process. And so I think that ability to adapt, like you said, is so key. And, uh, again, it's something that's sustainable long-term because that's a skill set that we can bring into, it will bleed into everything else that we do, whether it be a relationship, leadership, personal development, et cetera. I could not agree more. And you mentioned David Goggins, who I freaking love. Oh, I love <laughs> uh, him too. His book is one of my favorite books that I recommend. So and the Audible I, too, right? Yeah. Oh, I haven't listened to it, but my husband has like 12 times over. You have to. It's so, a moral imperative. Yeah. That Okay. All right. I got it. All right. I, I'll have to add it. To my, <laughs> but I did read it when it first came out and highly recommend it. And I think you're, you're right. We look at David Goggins, we go, oh, this just guy's just crazy. And yeah, I think to some degree, yeah, he's, he's, I'm not ever going to be David Goggins. And that's okay. I think the important piece is to take, like, when I read David Goggins' book, there are some really great aspects that he talks about that I take for myself. Like, one of my favorite ones was the mirror. And when you look in the mirror, you can't lie to yourself. And so for me, when I have a goal or a really hard thing I'm working towards, yeah, I, I still have those moments where I'm like, ah, it's okay. You can do it tomorrow. And then I look at myself in the mirror and did you do what you said you're going to do? And you can't lie. And so for me, it's a, the accountability mirror is a great thing that I took from him. And so for anybody listening, you don't have to be like the person to gain insight from them. And so for him, I've recommended that book a lot. And for people, I do warn them hey, you're not going to love every little bit and I'm not asking you to. And I don't think he's asking that of you either. I think he's sharing his story in hopes that some of, some part of it you will relate to and some part of it will help you become the best version of yourself, whatever that looks like. It's so true. And Bruce Lee said famously, he says, I absorb what is useful. I discard what is useless. And then I add what is specifically my own. So like you said, you may listen to that entire book and maybe the language or the, the content because he had a very rough upbringing that may turn you off, but there may be that one piece of information that you gain from it, that you glean. And more importantly, especially as a coach, as a parent, as a leader, you may not even use that information, but the fact you were exposed to it may be the thing that helps the person on the team, the COO, your spouse, whomever, right? So if we are not able to absorb those truths, it's almost an act of hubris on our parts because we're thinking, oh, I don't need to know that, or I've heard that before. Actually, you're doing the people around you a disservice if you're not going to be willing to absorb those truths. I love it. Definitely. And I'm looking up because that's where my, his book's up there. My shelf. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely easily top, top five favorite books. It's incredible. And, and we've talked about a lot of these things before, but you've gone through some adversity in your life as well to get to this point. Yeah. Would you care to share with us an adversity that you went through that at the time you felt like you were never going to be able to get to the other side of? But once you were there, there was that gift in the adversity that you were able to glean. And as we said before, it's almost impossible to have that sort of 
mentality when we're in the fray, when we're in the middle of it. We have to get beyond it, have the time. And as humans, when we have a wound, it, something that's brutal to us, our natural inclination is, is to get as much distance between us and that as we can because we want to heal. But we don't understand that if we can look at the, the wound while it's open, that's when we can learn so much about ourselves if we can take that emotion away from it, right? Yeah. I also think that our wounds are what bond us together. And when you're willing to share, I've learned how much closer you get. And to me, to me, it's a gift when people are willing to share that with me. But my, I've had a couple and it started actually, started when I was much younger, but I'll start at 15. When I was 15, my best friend committed suicide. And I, man, my world was turned upside down. I went from my biggest cares in the world or what I was going to wear to school, how I performed on my soccer team and who I, what movie I was going to go see with my friends on the weekends to quickly learning what really matters in life, which was people, relationships. and. I probably, I went through severe depression myself. If it wasn't for my mom, I may not be here. I also attempted suicide myself. And the only reason why I'm here is because my mom took all of the pills out of the medicine cabinet. And I'm so thankful for her. And so I was totally like taken down mentally, emotionally, physically. I mean, it was a win if I could get out of bed and get dressed to go to school. That was like my new gauge for success. And it was through going through therapy and really understanding, like you were saying, my wound. Not just trying to look the other direction, but actually staring it in the face and confronting it that has led me to the work that I do today. Because I care so deeply about my clients, so deeply. And I think I learned that was the most important thing that day. And it's transformed into my passion and what drives me to do what I do every single day. And it combines this love that Amber, who is my friend, Amber and I shared in sports together, is combined this love for athletics and com competition and uh, pushing ourselves. It combines that with my care for people. And that's where it began. And it has definitely expanded and, and evolved as I've worked in this field. And now I don't just see it as athletes. I see it as performers. And getting to pour into these people, there's nothing that feels better than watching somebody I work with win. And living their lives as the best version of themselves for that day, whatever that looks like, because we know that the best versions of ourselves will evolve over time. And it all started 
because of that day. And so while I would do anything to bring her back, I am thankful for what it taught me because I think I wouldn't have found this passion or this direction or the care that I have for individuals the same if I hadn't, I hadn't had gone through that. That's so powerful. What would Amber say about your work today? I think she'd be really proud. I know she would because you're honoring her memory with what you do. Yeah. That's powerful. That's beautiful. It's something that's, you're good. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. Thank you for sharing that. Everybody says you have to find a why and everybody follows other people's whys. But that self-knowledge is where we find the why. And my God, your why is. That's where it's there. That's yeah. We, and we can't go through and it was the same thing with me. I didn't join the military until I was 38. I was paralyzed when I was 40. Die on the table, was told I'd never walk again. And so when I had a second chance to begin recovery after years, I swore, again, I figured out what was important. Money, you need to survive, but you don't have to be a multi-billionaire. And that relationship with people, that's what gets you there. And adversity is what helps us truly understand empathy, truly understand what it's like to have gratitude, truly understand what this person's going through. And that's why what you do, and we can, what do we do? We recognize it in others. We see it. This person's depressed. This person's in their own way. This person's overthinking. This person's not thinking enough. This person doesn't give a shit. This person gives too many shits. And that's how we're able to see that because we've been there. And while it may not be exactly the same situation, that overarching truth, we're able to detect it much more readily. And that's what gives us the distinct advantage compared to somebody who's uh, regurgitating a Tony Robbins um, quote at people. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always say that you can't fake your why. You, you can't fake a why because where it becomes tested is in the most difficult moments of our lives. And if you like think about our brain and, you know, if it cut your head and, you know, right here and you go straight back, there's, you know, those three circles and there's these three sections of our brain and the outer two sections are, it's our logical thinking brain. And that's where we plan. That's where we, you know, put a plus or one plus one equals equals two. And we are, you know, developing strategy. Okay. This is what I want. And this is how I'm going to get it. But our why, when we are speaking to our why, we're speaking to the center part of our brain, which is the emotional centers of our brain. And when we are, when we are speaking to our why, we are speaking to the very part of the brain that is in charge of decision-making. And oftentimes when we are under immense amounts of stress, difficulty, adversity, that's the part of our brain that is making decisions, not the logical part, the emotional part. And so when I'm saying you can't fake your why is if your why isn't true to you, when those moments hit, you'll quit. When those moments hit, you won't get back up. And Emotions assassinate the truth, right? That's right. That's a hundred percent right. So I think it's so important because there's, there, trust me, there are many days where I get up and I'm doing the work that I do and I love what I do. But some, some days when I'm creating content, I don't feel like it. I'm exhausted. And so I, I remember who I'm doing this for, like why, what's the reason behind it. And that gives me, uh, that gives me the power to continue doing what I do. And again, it's the only thing sustainable. And again, if we could examine Goggins or Tom Bilyeu or Gary Vaynerchuk, from the outside observer, the, the nine to five person, I call them civilians. They they see that and it's like, as you were saying, I'm never going to be Goggins, but maybe I can take this piece of him, or maybe I want to be the David Goggins of performance, mental performance coaching, like you are, being able to say, I want to be the best at whatever my niche is. 
and just own that because that's all he's doing is he's just trying to find his path beyond all the past to be worthy of this thing that he has in his mind for who he is. And that's what's so important. So seeing these other people and, oh, they're overworking or they're overtraining or whatever. Well, maybe it feels like they are to you because you're not there. You're not in that position. You don't have that sort of drive. That was part one of my interview with Lauren Johnson, an athlete turned mental conditioning coach and former mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees. Lauren is highly relatable and motivating with a passion for developing the minds of the elite. You can hear part two of our interview as Lauren and I explore the redefinition of what success looks like, the tools pro athletes use to stay consistent over time, and the right questions that you should be asking when facing adversity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.